1: Watford's Great Escape. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of this season's Real Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While well, in addition to that, there we'll are also have some off-pitch activities that caught our eye, and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football, and this week we've once again got a full house, and that means leading the line and wearing the captain's armband is Cole. So, Cole, how have you been since we last
2: spoke? Yeah, really good, thanks, Dan. Uh, another good weekend of some packed football, you know, a bit of controversy, some surprising results. So, yeah, looking forward to getting into chatting about it.
1: Of course, I cannot forget his strike partner either. That means the supply line will be coming from Drew once again. Drew, I hope all is well with you, my friend.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing great. I will say I am not still fuming over the Lo Celso miss like you guys are <laughs> towards the end of the match. So I'm not doing too bad.
1: Yeah, we'll get to that in, in the show later, on. I still don't know how I've missed it. I think I've watched that about four times now, and each time I think it's going to go in. But anyway, before we chat all things football, let's do the social media bits first. If you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Tracy 1983 Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. If you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real football Cast. If you use that platform... Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. That way you don't miss a single episode. And also, of course, you can subscribe as well. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Acast. Well, the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. And what is Loserpool, I hear you ask? It's the company behind the game, Last Man Standing. One which is free to enter and the prize pool once again stands at £1,000. If this has grabbed your interest, be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account. The odds are really great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Let's focus on the bottom of the table once again, because it's all changed in the bottom three. And Watford are continuing their great escape. And, Cole, it wasn't just going back to basics on Sunday. It was making Bournemouth look very, very ordinary.
2: Yeah, and Watford have played really well, haven't they, since Pearson's come in? You know, he's managed to get that new manager bounce. And, you know, he seems to have got that team playing in a way that, You know, you're now sitting there thinking the great escape could be on for them if they carry the sort of form they are now. Um, Obviously, you know, they've got Deeney back and he's playing really well, spearheading their attack, scoring goals. And like, as you said, you know, this weekend they kind of made Bournemouth look ordinary and obviously piled more pressure on um, Eddie Howe. But that's a brilliant win away from home. And, you know, you really got to think if they can keep this momentum going and keep playing the way they are, then... You, you know, you do sort of look now and think, well, maybe, you know, maybe they could be about to get themselves out of trouble. Uh, and Nigel Pearson, they might have found the right manager. You know, they, they've tried, they've tried enough and tried a few. So maybe they've actually struck gold and found the one that could do the good job for them.
1: Yeah, it does seem a sense of third time lucky, but you know, it, it is working. And Drew, that's now 13 points out of 15 for the Hornets. Whatever Nigel Pearson is doing seems to be working very well. So he needs to continue that. That sort of process, those methods, and just make sure those Watford players now don't rest on their laurels.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things with Watford right now is, you, it, when you look at Nigel Pearson's team, is they're set up in such a basic formation. If they're going to run a flat four-four-two, four-two-three-one, whatever it happens to be. It's not anything too complicated, but it's working so well for them right now, which is fantastic. Like Carl mentioned, Troy Deeney is back to his best after injury. He's scoring goals. De Lafayette is playing better, even though, yes, that did start before Pearson came in. But everything's kind of coming together right now. And it was fantastic that they've been on this run. It was great that they took advantage of a vulnerable Bournemouth side at home. So Watford right now, I think, are flying high. And those points to get them out of the relegation zone are absolutely huge. For so long this season, it was a foregone conclusion that Watford were going to get relegated pretty much to non-league football this season. Yet somehow, Pearson has come in and done an absolutely fantastic job. So hats off to him. Hats off for pretty much doubling, more than doubling their points in a month or so that it's been. He's done fantastic, and right now Watford – Look like they might actually be able to escape the drop.
1: And Carl, if they do stay up, this will surely be the success story of the Premier League season, won't it?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, you know, as as Drew said there, you know, when you was looking at the way Watford started, and obviously then, you know, the fast where they sack the manager and bring a previous manager back, and he's sacked after only a few weeks in charge. You're sitting there just going, "This is a club in crisis," and there's only one way they're going. You know, they're going down. And, you know, they will end up being a side that you look at this season after review and say, what a complete and utter mess. But right now, if they get themselves out of this, then you can only say, well, credit to them for pulling themselves up and, and turning it around because it was looking chaos at one point, wasn't it?
1: And Drew, you mentioned Sunday's performance, but it just seems that they're now fighting for every ball. That's not to say they weren't beforehand, but why are things working now when they weren't at the start of the season?
0: It really looks like Nigel Pearson went in there, not trying to make friends, and just kicked everyone up the backside one by one very hard. And it seems to have worked. It, you know, it, it almost seems like he's come in and just told every, everyone, look, you guys have embarrassed yourselves. You can't allow this to happen. The way you lost to Manchester City, some other performances you've had this year, have been atrocious, have been unacceptable. That's not the way to carry yourself as a professional. And this club deserves better than that. I really think he's gone in there and really changed the mindset more than anything. Because again, on the pitch, you do see improvements, but no one's turned into Lionel Messi or anything like that. But instead, they're operating as a team. And I think that motivation behind them, that fear of relegation, Pearson was able to get out of them and use it to their benefit and make them come out to play. They're motivated. Like you said, they're going after every single 50-50 ball. They're never pulling out of challenges. And right now, they're going for the jugular. And that's something you haven't seen from Watford at all until Pearson came in. So again, hats off to him. He's done a fantastic job.
1: Carl, Watford, a team full of belief. Bournemouth seriously lacking it at the moment. So you only have to look at the way they gave away the first goal on Sunday. So poor, lacking confidence. I mean, it's just a myriad of problems for the South Coast outfit at the moment.
2: Yeah, we said it last week, didn't we, Dan? You know, Eddie, how, you know, is it that case of staying a season too long and possibly, you know, things just kind of not being right at the club now? And, you know, is it the case of same old, same old bit like with Potts? You know, you've been there too long. The methods are all the same. Um, I say they've been really unfortunate this season with some big injuries to big players for them. You know, Aki has been a massive loss for them at the back, has not he? You know, you kind of can see right now he was an he was their experienced player, kind of holding a lot of it together. Um, you know, they've lost some you know talent going forward. And right now they just look aside completely devoid of confidence, didn't they? And you kind of get, you don't really see when the next point's coming, if you like, the way they're playing. Um, so they've got to really kind of, Just grind out a result now, to swing that momentum, going back the other way for them. Because otherwise, you know, this is not the sort of time now where you want to go on this sort of run because it could suck you right into the danger zone. And before you know it, it's too late to recover. So there's a big job on there now for Eddie Howe, And this will be a real test for him. And again, one where we'll actually kind of see... You know, what What he's made of as such, because he's done a fantastic job up to now for Bournemouth. But this is probably be the most difficult period for him, I'd suggest. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he can get them out of it and, and kind of change things for them.
1: I mean, we spoke about his stock value and how it's decreasing. But I guess if he does keep them up in this sort of battle that they might find himself in, then all of a sudden his stock takes another rise. So football has a sort of strange way of, like I say, swinging backwards and forwards. However, Drew, the way they sort of surrendered on Sunday will be a concern. Obviously, a sloppy goal for the first one. They just didn't have any heart for the second or third goals. And I think we have mentioned injuries. They've been incredibly, well, decimated, really, in terms of injuries. So does Howe stick to his guns and think, you know, this is a plan that's worked in the past, and then hopefully players will come back? Or now, is this the time where change is going to be made, sometimes out of desperation, sometimes for the, the real need or the desire to change? How do you think Bournemouth sort of, plan to get their way out
0: of this trouble. You're right. Injuries have absolutely ravaged this team, but that's not an excuse. Because when you look at it, Ryan Fraser has not been as good as he was last year. Callum Wilson has not scored as much as he has this year. Harry Wilson on loan had a hot start to the season, but has cooled off since then. So yes, while injuries have hurt the team tremendously, the rest of the players that are still fit, that are in the eleven every single weekend haven't really performed up to part either. So I think you have to attribute some of the blame to them as well. For Eddie Howe, honestly, he looked lost during the match. Every time that Watford sliced them open, you could see on his face uh, a look of a deer in the headlights, no idea what to do. And so with that, I think he needs to change whether that's going to be formation, whether that's going to be some rotation. He has to change something In order to kind of revive this team. Because if you have different players in there, whether that's through injury or because of just rotation, you can't just play the same way. You do have to make adjustments. So I think he needs to do that. The problem is, I fear he won't because he did look so lost. He did look devoid of ideas, just like his players have. And so with that, I find it hard to believe that he's going to make some radical overhaul to change them. And turn them into a team that's going to surge up the table. I really just don't see that happening. And unfortunately, because of that, I do wonder if Bournemouth are ready to pull the trigger and fire him in what I think wouldn't necessarily be the right move for the club.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting angle, actually, because like we said before, he almost has the the safest slash the easiest job in the Premier League. Now it's sort of really coming home to roost that it's not the easiest job. And... Cole, you mentioned last week that fans and sort of talk sport and those kind of platforms are sort of almost saying the unthinkable that, well, maybe it's time for Eddie to go and all this, and you sort of do wonder that if results do keep going the way they are, and you know we've seen sort of firefighters come in before. Let's say Mark Hughes at Southampton kept them up; they might just get a bit jittery, mightn't they, the Bournemouth board? So it's not quite as safe as you might think. Now, another team... That's... Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah,
2: sorry, do continue. Oh, Bob. sorry, Dan. No, no. Yeah, no, I think, like you say, you're right, isn't it? I, I think it all depends on what the ball's ambition is. You know, if the board are desperate for Premier League survival, then then they don't sit around too long before, you know, the niceties and the, you know, the kind of loyalty go out the window and suddenly you're staring down the bullet of the gun, aren't you? So, yeah, it will be interesting with that one, Dan, like you say.
1: OK, so another team that seems to be sticking to their resolve at the moment in terms of, sort of how they're playing, but not really getting anything in terms of positive results are Aston Villa. And you'd have to say that was a real rotten performance on Sunday. And Cole, you mentioned Danny Drinkwater might be the answer to their problems. If anything, he caused more of them at the weekend, didn't he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Sorry, man, I couldn't let you forget that. Hey, one, hey
0: <laughs> we, we all we all miss some. It's all right. We all miss some.
2: <laughs> it looked like it looked like he'd kind you know, formed back up his partnership with Mahrez, didn't he? But he forgot that they weren't playing for Leicester together anymore. You know, it's like no, you're on the other side now, Danny. You know, come on, um, yeah, that was a horror show performance, wasn't it? And one that you know you you do start that sort of performance, you start to worry about Villa, and you know. Have they got enough in it to kind of see themselves out of trouble? Um, Obviously, when you look at the fixtures throughout the season, a side like Villa will look at those games against Man City and you'd probably say, listen... We'll write that one off because we know the chances are, you know, we won't get nothing out of those games. So this won't be the sort of game that's going to send Villa down, that's for sure. But you don't want to be on the end of these drubbings. And obviously, as we know, when goal difference starts to come into play, you don't want to start losing fives and sixes because that suddenly then puts you in. You know, that can almost be another point taken away from you as well. So... There was a real bad performance. Um, they need to just try and shake that one off. But there are some concerns there, you know, scoring, going forward. You know, Grealish is great. Um, you know, we know Grealish won't be there next season, so they've got to make the most of him this year because he will definitely be off in the summer. Um, but, yeah, I do worry about Villa because I just don't think there's enough goals in that side. Um, and obviously, if they lose someone like Grealish now as well, then I think they've got real problems.
1: Drew, we spoke about Aston Villa's goalkeeping problems last week due to Tom Heaton's injury. Half a dozen goals um, shipped at the weekend. Alden Nyland was the person, not necessarily responsible for all of them, but he's the man in the sticks. So he'll be in the firing line. Does that performance usher Dean Smith into the market and think, I really need a more dependable goalkeeper now?
0: Yeah, it certainly seems so. And I think even before this performance, the club were looking to try and find someone. So I, I don't think that you can look at Nyland and say, you know what, he failed against Manchester City, one of the most potent attacks ever in the history of football over the past few seasons, so you know what, obviously he can't hack it. I don't think that's the case. I will say, for Nyland, the the keeper, you know that was a really tough trial by fire uh, to play against Manchester City, and and I almost feel bad for the man, but hey, it is what it is. That's kind of what you have to deal with. In terms of the club, I don't really think a goalkeeper is going to be what solves their issues. Can it help? Yeah, absolutely. You need someone solid at the back who's going to prevent you from surrendering chances. But regardless of that, I think they were giving up plenty with Tom Heaton anyways. Therefore, I think Villa, if they're going to spend, they should not spend anything more than a very modest sum on a keeper. And they need to focus on different areas, whether that's going to be in defense, midfield, or attack, because really – they don't have a great set of players at any of those positions. Jack Grealish is always kind of on his own creating things. And every now and then, you know, a teammate will step up and provide an assist or make a good run. But really, everything is falling on him. And so if you're Aston Villa, there are so many places you need to buy. But even if you do, are you really going to guarantee yourself survival in the Premier League? Because they bought a bunch of guys in the summertime, and clearly that hasn't worked so why is their board going to be so much more competent this time in finding the right pieces for the next six months? Whether that be a keeper to replace Heaton or that be other players on the pitch, I just don't see it happening. And I think any money they spend is really just adding fuel to the fire and they're just burning cash until the ultimate day that they do go down to the championship at the end of the season.
1: Well, this is it, isn't it? Because like you just said, Dean Smith spent over $100 million in the summer. So if he knocks on the chairman's door and says "Can can have a bit more, they'll be like, well, hang on, like... What have you bought? Like, there's no real discerning quality there. So, do you chuck 50 million, Alex, try and stay up? Teams have done it in the past. They've really rolled the dice, and then they've been really caught out. So, there is a gamble, but the financial risk that comes with it, like you say, Drew, there might be a bit more prudent to say, well, you can have a goalkeeper 10 million, and then you're on your own, mate, because you've spent enough already. However, of those goals that nine conceded, three of them came from Sergio Aguero and Carl. If there was any doubts that he's perhaps gone quiet as of late? Yes, he's been injured, but. He certainly reminded people of his talents at the weekend, while also breaking a goal-scoring record at the same time.
2: Yeah, he's been phenomenal, isn't he, Dan? <clears throat> um, and when you consider the money that City paid for him, then that probably has to go down as one of the best transfers in Premier League history because he is—you know—he is you know, he's just a force to be reckoned with. Great player, great goal scorer. Um, he's got so much about his game. You know, strong. You know, great shot. Um, And Ed, just a phenomenal player. So, as you say, for me, he will go down as one of the Premier League best strikers we've ever seen. Um, And and he's still probably got maybe another couple of seasons in him. Um, You're playing for a team that create chances for fun. Um, So, yeah, I think he's got plenty more in the tank and plenty more goals to come.
1: Drew, in regard to the pantheon of great Premier League strikers, where would you put Aguero in this sort of last quarter century? Is he at the top or just in and around?
0: No, he has to be near the top, absolutely. And that doesn't just mean for you know foreign imports in the Premier League. He's been one of the best. And it's shocking to me that so often he's overlooked. I think part of it is because he doesn't look like a typical striker. right? He's not that tall. He's not that overpowering in the box. He doesn't really provide this presence of when he steps onto the pitch, oh my God, what are the defenders going to do? At least not by looking at him. He does do it by his play, of course. And I think he is severely underrated. I do know and recognize people see his talent and appreciate it. But I don't think he gets that push into really one of the best enough. I think some people see it, but not as many as what I would think would be justified in, in you know what we've seen from him over his, t- uh, over his time in the Premier League. So I think Aguero is up there with – Alan Shearer, he's up there with Thierry Henry. He's definitely up there with those guys. He scores year in, year out, but unfortunately he doesn't quite get the praise. I mean, how many teams of the year has he been in? I think one in his entire time at Manchester City, which sounds criminal, and yes, there have been other guys in the league who are deserving of it, but looking at his body of work, I think he might be one of the more underrated strikers to come to the Premier League because he's been absolutely fantastic. Every year you can rely on him for 20 25 maybe even 30 goals and that's production you don't see very often out of players at least not that consistency
1: yes I think you're absolutely right in that sense and you mentioned Alan Shearer which brings me on to my next question Carl because we've mentioned before we discussed the goal scoring record that holy grail of 260 and now Aguero is 83 away from that there's a plot twist in this in that his current contract ends next summer so can you see him getting a new deal if he does is the record on how do you see this one shaping out
2: I don't see him, you know, being able to overturn that record because, like as Drew said, you know, I I think with Aguero now, you've probably got maybe another couple of seasons out of him. Um, And if you sort of said you're looking at 25 goals, maybe a season from him, and then you start to think, you know, that if he doesn't get as many games for City, that kind of goes down. I can't see him being able to, you know, have enough time to get that extra 80 that he needs. Um, I just think he'll fall short of that. But again, as Drew said, you know, for me, I put him, you know, in that same bracket as Shearer, Henry, as, as Drew right rightly said, you know, I don't think people talk about Aguero in those sort of, you know, with those sort of names, but they should. Uh, Maybe he doesn't have a standout kind of like, oh, he's not pacey, he's not this, you know, he doesn't have one standout ability that kind of people are really scared of. But that guy, you know, for me, he goes down in that category. And, you know, you talk about him with those strikers, but I do think he'll just fall short of being able to catch Shearer whereas possibly someone like Harry Kane has probably got the years on his side to be able to kind of notch that number and possibly be the one who finally does break that record. Um, but, you know, Aguero will go close, but just, you know, not enough time in the tank, I don't think, Then,
1: Yeah, I think you're just about right. If Aguero was, you know, let's say the right side of 13, had just a couple more seasons in the tank, then I think it'd be game on. But I think, yeah, it's just about evading him, I think. But, you know, like you say, his body of work, his goals... Just his all round playing, just what he does as a forward, not only has he been sensational, and I know Gabriel Jesus is looking a very decent, you no, know, should we say understudy, but you know, a decent option for City to have. If and when Aguero does move on, well, he will at some point, that's going to be an incredible void to fill, and you do wonder sort of how they will manage to do so. And talking of voids to fill, Drew, Vincent Company. Now, we're in January. And the talk of City getting centre-back is sort of quietened somewhat. And I think that's because they're not really in the title race now because they don't really sort of feel the need to think, right, we need that defensive reinforcement to push for title number three. Does that mean they're just going to sort of ride it out the month and then think, okay, the Port will come back eventually and then hopefully we can go and conquer Europe?
0: Yeah, that seems to be the strategy at this point. However, I actually don't agree with it because you're right in that 99% sure Manchester City will not catch Liverpool to win the Premier League. However, that's not really their holy grail anyways. At City, what is the trophy that they desire so much? It's It's the Champions League. And so without another defender, I think even that they struggle. I don't think they're favorites for Europe. And so because of that, I actually think they still need to go out and try and find a defender, especially if, What I read last night, and I don't know how true this is, and if this is really going to come to fruition, but there's talk of John Stones leaving Manchester City for Arsenal. Now, I know Pep is not a big fan of John Stones. He's given him a couple seasons, and he hasn't lived up to the billing. Fine. But still, with how bad their back line is, I don't think Manchester City can afford to send out on loan or sell another defender. So, I don't know how much I buy into City trying to be quiet. Maybe they're putting that facade out there to try and you know, bring some prices down or to help with negotiations or something. But Manchester City, if they want to go and achieve their dreams, which is the Champions League, they still have to buy a defender. So if they're going to go quiet and just ride out the month and wait for Laporte to get back, that is one way to go about it. Definitely not the way I would, nor do I think is that a winning strategy to try and uh, reach the goals that they've set for themselves.
1: An interesting viewpoint, yeah. Be I guess a calculated gamble if they don't. We'll I guess find out if it works later in the season. But they've got two weeks. There's still a lot of time for it to happen. But I think you're right in the sense that the Champions League is the holy grail, and I think they'll be remiss that you know they might look back and think, oh, if only we did get center back, you know, they might fall in the semi-finals or something like that, and think, well, that's probably the golden opportunity. However, that win for them at the weekend sees them move up to second in the table at the expense of Leicester. And if Watford are doing something heroic, oh. We have to say the same about Southampton because they also have picked up 13 points from their last 15.
2: Yeah, I, you know, again, we said last week, didn't we, that, that you know, the turnaround there had been really good. <clears throat> and this weekend, I don't, you know, I think Southampton probably blew so many acres yep, that people yeah. have put on because I don't know, no one would have seen that result coming. You know, you felt, you know, although they've been playing well, Leicester at home, you know, Vardy back, they'll kind of see off Southampton, but... That was what you call sweet revenge, I guess, for the nine at home, wasn't it? To go there and turn them over and kind of throw a little spanner in in their title chase. Um, And yeah, fully deserved. They played really well on the day. Again, if you've got someone like Ings in form as a striker and someone putting the ball in the back of the net, you've got a chance to win Premier League games. And I think Southampton, they must just be wrapping him in cotton wool between every game because right now, he is their key to survival. Um, And they must just be praying that he doesn't pick up an injury because if he goes and those goals dry up, they'll be in trouble. But they're playing really well. They've got themselves together. I think like we said with Watford now, it's just they're doing simple things, playing as a team. We saw examples, you know, after match of the day, there was examples of how they're now closing down as a team as well and kind of harrying and, you know, working together. And, you know, it's amazing that those little simple things can turn a season round. So, you know, credit to them because they're doing really well. But I tell you now, they desperately need to hold on to Ings because that is the key to their survival.
1: Yes, I mean, true. we've spoken at large about Danny Ings, if only because he keeps scoring. And because he keeps scoring... Euro 2020 is obviously on the horizon. Is he starting to enter the conversation to be included in Gareth Southgate's England squad?
0: He absolutely should be in that conversation. Especially with Harry Kane now injured and possibly going to miss the Euros or at least not be fit for it. And because of that, I think Ings should be in contention. I mean, if you look at the other strikers after Kane, you have Callum Wilson, who this year hasn't been great, you have Tammy Abraham who's kind of unproven when it comes to the international game and so because of that i think somewhat southgate is out of options even though that sounds odd to say because obviously out wide you have incredible talent raheem sterling or uh, jaden sancho so they could you know they they could figure it out in another way if they didn't have a striker but yeah i think danny ings should be in contention Will he continue this great run of form for the next four or five months? That, I think, is going to be the hardest part because he's obviously kind of at the pinnacle, at the peak of his career right now in terms of form. And so while right now I do say he deserves a shot to go to the Euros, I think it really depends on how well he's going to play out the rest of the season. And so I I think he should be in contention, but you cannot call him a lock just yet. Give him a few more months and... For his sake, if Harry Kane continues to to rehab and not get fully fit, then I think Ings really has a good shot. But we've got to wait just a bit. Absolutely, though, he deserves the recognition and possibly a chance at going to the Euros.
1: OK, Drew, I'll stay with you then, because he scored, what, 14 goals, I think? Let's say he hits the benchmark of 20. Is he then really not just knocking on the door, but kicking it down then?
0: He should be. 20 is always that magical number, And whenever I see someone who's hit 20 goals, I think to myself, that's an incredible season. And if Danny Ings is going to be the next best option after Harry Kane, absolutely. 20 goals for him would be a million times better than whatever Callum Wilson's going to get. It's going to be close or maybe better, maybe a little bit worse than Tammy Abraham and where he ends up. And Jamie Vardy, is he going to come out of retirement? I doubt it. And so, yeah, if Danny Ings does ultimately reach 20 goals and doesn't do it, you know, in the next month and then scores zero for for the end of the year, you know, that's different. But if he continues on this good run of form, absolutely. If I'm Gareth Southgate, I take him to the Euros. And if Harry Kane's not ready, Danny Ings is my starting number nine.
1: Absolutely. Well, you mentioned Jamie Vardy. That was going to be my next question for Cole because he's not officially retired from the England scene, has he? So if you're Gareth Southgate... Are you looking to have a words, or do you have to respect the decision of the Leicester forward?
2: I guess it probably all comes down to where we are, like I say, with the Harry Kane situation, doesn't it? By the end of the season, you know, if you sort of get around to sort of April time and it doesn't look like, you know, Kane's going to be back and possibly be fit enough and maybe, you know, you're looking and Tammy, you know, Tammy Abraham hasn't kind of had this finish to the season that you're hoping for, and if Vardy's still going strong and scoring goals, then you may be tempted as a manager to think, oh, you know, maybe I could tempt him with one last, you know, hooray and, you know, one last attempt at this. But I I actually don't see it happening. I think even if he has a strong end to the season, I think Vardy's quite a strong character. And I think he probably himself would turn around and go, listen, you know, I'm not going to suddenly be this guy that, you know, just comes back because, you know, Kane's injured. Um, So I don't see it happening. But You know, Vardy's been brilliant and he still would have been in and around my squad because of what he offers, you know, that nasty pace side that he's got. Never gives defenders a rest. So he would have always been in my squads. But I think, you know, I think think he won't come back. I think he's too stubborn. I think Southgate might be too stubborn. And if we've got Tammy Abraham, you know, finishing the season the way he is playing at the moment, then even if Kane's not ready, I think Abraham will be the main man that we go with.
1: And staying on the subject of Harry Kane, Drew, you know, he gets to the Champions League final last season, but let's be honest, he was all but a passenger. Euro 2020 is all but really a home tournament for England. He could miss that or at least enter it with another injury cloud hanging over his head. Is this man injury prone? Is he desperately unlucky or does he pick up injuries due to playing so much football for club and country?
0: I hate when other people do this, but I'm going to say it. It really is a combination of all three.
1: Now you're probably right to be fair.
0: Yeah, because right if you look at the champion or not the Champions League final the uh quarterfinals against Manchester City last year when he got hurt, right? It it was in a challenge. He wasn't just running and pulled up. This time, yes, it was his hamstring and and it was a non-contact injury. But yeah, he is injury prone. I mean, this isn't the first season that he's gotten hurt and it's probably not going to be the last. And so he is unfortunate. He is injury prone. And part of it isn't really his fault when he gets, you know, a hard challenge that that takes him out for a few weeks at a time. And so Harry Kane, you know, it's unfortunate for a player as good as he is to have this many injuries because it really does take away from him statistically, of course, but it does take away chances from him, like you said, in the Champions League final. He was not fit. He was not ready to play. And because of that, I do think Gareth Southgate is going to be really concerned with that because, yes... While you want Captain Harry Kane to be leading your team out at Wembley in the semis and in the final of Euro 2020, I don't think you can risk having him out there be non-existent, be a burden to the to the squad at home and possibly lose at home in a semifinal or a final. And, of course, it's going to be on penalties, of course. And so I think Southgate really has that tough decision to make. Is a half-fit Harry Kane better than Danny Ings, better than um, Tammy Abraham, or even maybe Marcus Rashford, who hasn't really played as a striker this season, but regardless, I think that's a tough question for Southgate. Ultimately, he's Harry Kane, he's the captain, he's going to be out there. Will he miss maybe the first group game, depending on, on who they get? Sure, I could see that happening. But definitely, without a doubt, put your money on it. Guaranteed. Harry Kane's going to be in the squad. It's just a matter of when he starts playing for them. Is that going to be in the group stage? Is it going to be later on? And will he be actually 100% fit for it? That's going to be the big question.
1: Cole, are centre-forwards back in vote? You know, we went through a phase of, you know, wide forwards and changes of systems. And they seem to be all of a sudden, you know, we've got a fair few now. Ings, Abraham, Kane, Rashford. Yes, he plays a little bit wider at times. Vardy, if you want to use him as well, they seem to be sort of back in fashion all of a sudden, don't
2: they? Yeah, I've you know obviously if, if you've got yourself a lethal front man, then that puts you in with a good shout of possibly you know you know your top fours and winning stuff, doesn't it? Because you know goals, you know goals are what win your games. They're always the kind of you know heroes. You know everyone picks normally a striker as a hero, um, and as you say, we now seem to be getting you know. We went through a, I mean, I can always remember, Dan, there was one point where you could put up a goal scorer chart and the names that you had there, you had about 12 or 13 names that you kind of going, that is a world class striker, world class striker, world class striker. Um, And we kind of lost that for a little while, didn't we? You know, we only had one or two in the league, where now we're starting to see, you know, gradually we're getting more and more lethal finishes again. And there are again sort of six or seven lethal front men in the league. And, and they're just great to watch. And those sides that have them, you know, they put themselves in a great position to have good seasons. So I do think we're seeing, you know, the, the age again of, you know, main strikers coming through. I don't think we'll ever see great partnerships again because I don't think teams tend to now go with the two up top it normally seems to be one main striker and then a kind of backup guy behind him. But we're definitely seeing, you know, this age where I think most teams want to have at least one lethal front man. And that's great for us as fans because they they bring the entertainment, let's face it.
1: And Drew, one final observation for this first part of the show. I think I've cracked the reason why Southampton are doing so well at the moment. It's because Ralph Harsenhooter has grown a beard. As long as he doesn't have a shave, I think the Saints are going to be absolutely fine this season.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think over here across the pond, there was a period where we had 10 out of 11 presidents with uh, beards or mustaches. And the one who wasn't, it was because he took over when a president got shot or died in office. And so he didn't have time to grow a beard. So I'm with you. I think it's the beard. It's got to be. That's got to be why Messi plays so well, right? It's his facial hair.
1: Yes, I think that's an underlying theory. We'll see if that works for Southampton. Right. With that out of the way, don't go anywhere because in a few moments we'll be back for the second part of the show. Your accumulator letting you down, again. You've cashed out early. And you just can't win. Prehistoric football coupons? Nah. Have a think about it. Why not play a new way? At Loserpool. Pick a loser and win a thousand pounds in a last man standing tournament. Be a loser and win. At Loserpool. Enter for free now. Visit loserpool.com. Okay then, welcome back. I Hope you're still there, because it's now time to pay the bills. That's right, it's time to play Loserpool. And Carl, like Liverpool's impressive run, you've got one of your own. Nine straight games, you pick the loser. Can you make it a perfect ten? What is your pick as your guarantee loser this week?
2: So Dan, for me this week, mate, um, I can't remember all the teams I can't have now. You know, this great run I've been on. But I think I'm going to go for Man United if I'm able to. Um, Away at Liverpool. And I don't think United are going to be the team that puts a stop to that run for me. So, if I'm allowed to have them, I'm going to go for Man United.
1: Yes, you are. Almost something of a blind pick. But I like the way you've gone for them. Is this the game where not only Liverpool lose their streak, but Cole loses his Loserpool streak? High stakes indeed. This could be the one. Drew, what about yourself, mate? What have you got for me?
0: Well, first, I like Carl's nonchalant attitude of, oh, I got so many teams, I'll just, cho- <laughs> oh, let me just choose one out of a
1: hat. <laughs> it's not a bad strategy, to be fair.
0: <laughs> I can't remember which teams I can't pick, but whatever, guys, let's just
2: choose. <laughs> They're in there. It's mind games I'm trying to play here with you, boys.
0: <laughs> oh, and it's working. You're doing a great job. Uh, for me... <laughs> If I have a, uh, the team I'm picking this weekend to lose 100% for certain, guaranteed losers, Burnley. Yes, they're going to be at home, but they're taking on Leicester. And I think Leicester and Brendan Rodgers are going to do everything in their power to stop this kind of skid that they've been on. Even without Wilfred and Didi, I think Leicester should be able to go into turf more and beat them. So I'm taking Burnley, guaranteed losers this weekend.
1: Okay, mate. And I'm going to go for Aston Villa to lose at Brighton. Uh, Brighton with good form at home Villa off the back of that awful game at the weekend so I think they'll be um, hitting the skids once again so let's recap very quickly Carl's gone for Manchester United to lose away at Liverpool Drew's gone for Burnley to lose at home to Leicester and I've gone for Aston Villa to lose away at Brighton so we'll see how those pan out next week and funny you should mention Burnley Drew because we go there next and Carl four in a row in terms of defeats not only that but they've got a pretty difficult run of fixtures coming up Leicester as an example at the weekend so they're not quite in that relegation battle drama just yet. But at the same time, if that run goes to, say, seven without a win, which it quite easily could do, then there is going to be trouble at Turf Moor, isn't there?
2: Yeah, as you say, Dan, rightly, they're, they're, in, they're in a bad spot at the moment. Um, they're not particularly playing that well. The goals have kind of dried up. Um, and again, I wonder if we 're getting to a stage here with Burnley, the same as Bournemouth with Eddie Howe you know and Dietrim Burnley. Are we getting to a stage now where it could be you know this guy's done a great job for a certain amount of time, but is it now becoming a little bit stale there? You know, samey, samey every season. You know, they had that great year that got them into the Europa League. But now, they, after that, they've kind of really dropped away from that level. Um, and you're kind of questioning now whether Dyche can get the most as he used to out of that side. Um, and you do fear for them, as you say, their current run of fixtures coming up. You know, if they carry on playing the way they are, you don't see them picking many points up out of that at all. I'm with Drew. I think Leicester will go and do a number on them this weekend. So I don't see them getting anything there. Um, and, you know, as we say with all these teams, the same with Bournemouth, they really need to try and find a way to, to kind of stop that rot because, you know, it, it, that run they've got coming up now, if they don't come out of that with many points, they really will put themselves right in the relegation dogfight. And it's hard to kind of change it when you're down there and things are not going your way. So I'd be slightly, you know, worrying times if you're a Burnley fan about the way they're playing and the way results are going.
1: Drew, With the way that Eddie Howe is panning out at Bournemouth, the way that Potch ended at Tottenham, Sean Dyche, to a certain degree, could go down that same avenue. Does that suggest that perhaps six years in charge of a Premier League club is now the optimum length, that you can't give any more? Like the days of a Ferguson-Wenger legacy, they're done. You're never going to get that again. Um, You know, Is this the sort of period where you can't really eke out any more of of a team?
0: It definitely seems like that, that managerial careers are getting shorter, at least at one club. But I actually don't think it's down to managers or down to players. I think it's a combination of how we see the Premier League now with all of the pressure when it comes to money, right? Because, if, I mean, if you drop out of the Premier League, what are you losing in TV money? At least $100 million. And then, of course, you know, sponsorships, marketing, and reven- all types of revenue that you're missing out on. And so I think that's why careers have – or 10 years – at clubs have gotten so short for managers because the board, and understandably so, is unwilling to risk a hundred million dollars. And when you or pounds, sorry, when you look at Burnley, when you look at Bournemouth, also, right? These are pretty small clubs. They don't really have, you know, uh, huge stadiums for for fans. So it's not like they're going to make up revenue that way. And so I think that's why every single club is looking at this you know, more from an accounting standpoint and saying, we're not gonna go down, we're not gonna pass up a hundred million pounds in revenue. Parachute payments are not. I think that's why you really see these clubs ready to pull the trigger so quickly. Because yes, if you know the messages go stale and the players aren't responding, then it's probably time to to get a new manager. But I think that happens because players have so much power now with the money they make, because clubs are too scared of going down, and so all of these factors combine, I think. And unfortunately, like always, the burden kind of falls on the manager, and then they suffer the consequences of it as well. And Sean Dyche might be the next man, or one of the next managers to, to do that later this season. I don't quite buy into that yet, though, because although they're close to the relegation zone and with that tough fixture run coming up. They'll probably be even closer. But is Burnley really underperforming compared to most seasons right now? 15th in the Premier League? I think that's about right. And so I don't think it's really an indictment on Sean Dyche or the club or the players or anything. I think they're doing maybe a little bit under expectations, but nothing crazy. I think they're right where they should be.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very fair point, actually. You know, if you look at actual like Burnley is a club and where you'd expect them to be, they are just where they are. I think it's just magnified slightly by the fact they haven't won or they've lost their last four. And that fourth defeat came at the hands of your beloved Chelsea, Drew. So you'd have to say almost the perfect performance, especially when you consider that home wins have been something difficult to get as of late.
0: Yeah, Chelsea were great in this game. They absolutely dominated. And of course, the three goals capped off with Callum hudson adoy his first Premier League goal. Yeah, Chelsea were were great in this game. And I was a bit sceptical going into it with You know, I mean I think a lot of people were, is you saw a lot more rotation. You know, if you look at Chelsea over the past three, four weeks through the festive period, you saw a lot of rotation. And yes, it's to save legs, but I really think it's Lampard not trying to let anyone get too complacent. He wants everyone fighting for their spots. I mean, in this match, Ross Barkley played instead of Mateo Kovacic, and while when you go up against Burnley, you know, you have to play against a very rigid two blocks of four. And so Barkley is probably a better option than Kovacic, who is, you know, more defensive minded. But I think it's also, he doesn't want Kovacic or anyone to think, oh, my place is secure, no problem. You saw the defenders changed out as well. And so I think Lampard's doing that with a purpose. And that was what accounted for those losses. But then you could also say that's what accounted for this home win against Burnley. So I think Chelsea, while great on the day, it's not quite indicative of where they're going for the rest of the season uh, other than kind of the strategy that Lampard is employing.
1: Okay, let's quickly move up to Old Trafford now because they made very light work. That is Manchester United, they made light work of Norwich. Carl, obviously, you know, a routine victory, nothing more than that. You can't really get too excited for United unless they actually go on a run and put... Pressure on the
2: likes of Chelsea, can you? Yeah, I think United have done this before, haven't they, Dan? You know, got some impressive results at home and, you know, stuck the ball in the back of the net, you know, three or four times. And you think, okay, that's a, you know, they've done the real job on that team there and, you know, put them to the sword. And you kind of think, right, okay, this could be interesting. And then the following week, they go and put in a really bad performance, lose. And you kind of think, oh, actually, it's kind of one step forward, you know, one back at the moment under Oli. You know, the midweek Carabao Cup game was an example, wasn't it? I mean, they just weren't in that. You know, it was men v boys at certain points, a training ground game. And they're the sort of games you're really going to judge United on and where they are. And in those sort of games, they kind of do fall short still. Um, So, you know, they'll, they'll happily take that win. You know, they say they put Norwich to the sword. And again, if you're Norwich, you kind of start worrying about where you are. But I think, you know, you just can't get ex- too excited if you're a United fan because you've been here, but then you kind of know that there's that banana skin around the corner and you'll come unstuck at a team you really probably shouldn't come unstuck at. Um, so, yeah, I think United are just, you know, prodding along nicely, but they need to try and stick that sort of performance together for three or four weeks in a row. And then you might start thinking, right, they've really maybe turned the corner. Um, obviously, if they had someone like Fernandez, like there's talk, then that would be a good addition for them that could help them. Um, but yeah, you know, not, not too excited about that result in particular, only because of who it, who it came against and the fact that that is a team on the slide as well.
1: Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with that sentiment. And also, Drew, the fact that Norwich have now gone nine games without a league win. And this weekend, they go up against Bournemouth. Could that be the game where they finally break this unwanted streak?
0: It's definitely a relegation six-pointer, that's for sure. It is indeed. Yeah. Yeah. This is a a big match for both sides, the bottom two teams. Honestly, this looks like a draw for me. I think both teams are going to come out and have a hard time scoring because both are going to want to be so defensive. Bournemouth, don't lose at home. Norwich, stop the bleeding. And so I think you're going to see a really boring 90 minutes that's going to end up in a draw. And honestly... This could be a 0-0 zero, zero draw. And so I'm not very optimistic about this match. I think Norwich have so many problems right now. Well, it's not so much problems. I think it's more just they're, they're not as good as the rest of the Premier League. They brought the championship side up and they said, let's have at it. And you're starting to see the you know the difference in quality between the first and second tiers in England. So Norwich have a big problem on their hands. They do have a bit of a reprieve in facing Bournemouth this this weekend, but ultimately I think this is going to be a boring match. It's not going to really help either team other than they didn't lose.
1: Yeah, I've got this one marked down as a draw because you find when two teams are lacking in confidence, they seem to somehow cancel each other out and neither team gets the result they want. Talk of getting the result they want, Liverpool did that. They now go 38 games unbeaten. And, Cole, you know, in December, or everyone before December, was pinpointing that month as the one where it was not going to fall apart, but it's going to be a real struggle. They've glided through that one, and now you get the feeling that anything's on the table. Whatever they want, it's down to them, and it's all about just grinding out results and keep this red machine constantly moving on.
2: Yeah, you do, Dan. I think, you know, I, I can see them going this whole season without being beaten. Um, I think the title's in the bag already. Um, you know, they've fielded the kids in the FA Cup and managed to get through that first game there. Um, I can see them going deep into the Champions League and probably even winning that again. So, like as you say, Dan, I don't think there's anything off the table at the moment if you're Liverpool. That is a club in a bubble at the moment where it can go anywhere it wants. You know, they're playing fantastic football. You know, this weekend, you know, the first minute of that game kind of showed you why Spurs maybe played a negative type of football in that game. Because we went forward to try and attack. And within two passes of the ball, they're hitting the post at the other end. And you're thinking, wow, hold on a minute. You know, you can't afford to kind of be open here against this team. And they just play some great football. They've got pace. You know, even this season, they've proved, haven't they? Even in games where they don't play really well and they maybe don't get out of second gear sometimes, they've still got more than enough to see off the team they're playing against. So I'm with you, Dan. I think there's nothing off the table. I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool went on to win multiple things this season. And the Champions League and League will certainly be the two that I'd put my main money on.
1: Yep, I couldn't agree with you more there. Drew, you mentioned the Celso's miss at the start of the show. Do you know how that one stayed out? Because I don't.
0: No, absolutely not. Honestly, I I could be mistaken, but his miss was so bad. Inside the box, it looked as if that that ball went out for a throw-in. That's how far he missed it. I don't know what LaCelsa was doing. And, and look, I know we all we all miss chances and, and, and things happen. And I'm sure nine times out of ten, it's not going to be that horrendous. But you know what? This one stuck out because it could have rescued a point for Spurs. It could have taken points off of Liverpool. It could have, you know, pretty much justified Jose Mourinho's plan for the match of. Sitting back for the most part, and not really wanting to do anything too crazy um other than a few moments here and there, so I think lacelso's miss really goes it it got amplified because of the situation again, you know everyone misses chances, but that one was atrocious and honestly that to me he i hope in training the next day, I hope everyone pitched in to buy you know a goal set up from Amazon that was like
1: 35 feet high, 35 feet wide, and said, Giovanni, try again. And he probably missed <laughs> Picture this scene. I'd love it if they did that. However, let's move to Spain, which we rarely do. But why not? Because a bit of a headline. Barcelona, top of the league. You think everything's fine. Is it not? Because, Carl, they've only gone sack their manager. What on earth do you make of that one?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a, re- it's a really strange decision, isn't it, Dan? Come, kind of come out of the blue. Um, They're a side that have only lost once at home under this man as well, um, obviously, to the man they've replaced him with. But only losing once at home isn't a bad record, isn't it? You know, I wouldn't mind if the Spurs manager had only lost once at home in the last year or so. Um, so it does kind of come out of the blue, but you kind of wonder there's obviously something going on a little bit more there in the background. You know those, you know some of those Spanish clubs, Madrid and Barcelona, they're very political, aren't they? So lots of stuff happens in the background at those clubs that you kind of kind of doesn't come out in the press. But you know if some if a certain board member or something doesn't like you, or even a certain player doesn't like you then that that can be it. You can be gone. Um, So it was a bit of a shock decision, as you say. And they haven't been as great as they have been in previous seasons, but they're still top. So you are slightly surprised that, you know, they've pulled the trigger. You know, you wouldn't have been surprised if they were sitting third or something like that. But yeah, they're top. So yeah, very surprising, Dan.
1: I mean, Drew, imagine Liverpool doing the same to Jurgen Klopp. It's just like, you just couldn't believe it really, could you? So... The the excuse that's been sort of banged around is Barcelona aren't winning in the right way. And I think really it's testament to Liverpool's overturning of that Champions League deficit, which was really sort of the death knell for Valverde. So has he been sort of dead man walking this season?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, I think Valverde was set up to fail. And it's a little bit cruel, I think, to, to treat him that way. Because, as you mentioned, after the Liverpool Champions League second leg last year, I mean, even the year before that, when they blew a quarterfinal Champions League tie against Roma on the road in kind of the exact same fashion as they did to Liverpool. And so I think Valverde went into the season pretty much with his back up against the wall. And I'm going to guess Barcelona guaranteed him Neymar. And of course that didn't happen. Then Luis Suarez hasn't played really up to par this year. Now he's hurt. And so I think all of these things have kind of mixed together to, to hurt Valverde in a way that he would not have predicted going into the season. You know, you mentioned Barcelona not winning in, quote, the the right way, the Barcelona way. For most teams, I would call that rubbish and say that doesn't matter. However, Barcelona kind of is one of those clubs where they do have that identity within their style of play. And it was so effective that it pretty much took over over the Spanish national team when they went through that incredible run from 08 to 2012. Therefore, it does kind of reflect on the world, the Barcelona way, we do have to play this way. And so I think that hurt him. He hasn't gotten the best out of Frankie de Jong. You have all of these different things that have affected him and it all kind of came to a head and finally he got the sack. I don't think anyone was surprised. I don't think anyone was shocked. It was just a matter of when Especially coming off the back of the you know Spanish Super cup friendly, kind of an odd time to fire him, but it, it was a matter of time, and I think it, it's kind of for him a you know weight off his shoulders, he can finally move on. So for Valverde, good luck to him. He never really got a fair shake at Barcelona, I don't think.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think also for him, the fact that he signed Coutinho, that's something of a flop. That's also a negative in his column as well. We can't really talk about Barcelona too much. We need to wrap up the Premier League. So we've got about six, seven minutes, four matches to go. So I'll split them evenly. Carl, first up, you get Crystal Palace versus Arsenal. You'd have to say two mid-table teams cancelling each other out. The only real flashpoint was Aubameyang's red card, VAR being used the right way for a change. More importantly, how the Gunners fare without him for the next three matches.
2: Yeah, as you say, Dan, two sides who, you know, it kind of wasn't the most exciting game to watch, both kind of cancelling one another out. The, you know, great use of VAR for once, you know, that's where we want to see VAR used. But I think Arsenal will struggle because Aubameyang is, you know, a real spearhead for them. So that is going to be a massive blow for Arsenal and especially for Arteta because he's just getting himself in there and trying to, you know, put his stamp on the team. So to lose probably your key man um, for a few games won't help that kind of settling in. But, you know, they'll probably be OK, but he will be a major loss for them in the next few games.
1: And Drew, let's hot-foot it to Goodison because Everton got the better of Brighton. Just the perfect tonic after that disappointing cup performance the week before.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, Carlo Ancelotti has done a pretty good job. He's getting Richarlison scoring again. He's tinkered with the defense, and that has improved, and that was evident with a clean sheet against Brighton at home, something Everton has not done either of clean sheets or winning at home before Ancelotti this year. So for the Toffees, I think this was a very good performance. They took points off a team that they should be taking points off of at home. So Ancelotti's doing a great job so far. Everton are back where they should be mid-table, and I think they're going to be just fine the rest of this year. I think for next year, they should already be setting their sights on qualifying for the Europa League.
1: Okay, let's go to Bramall Lane next Friday night. The Blades bounce back after back-to-back defeats and Cole Morvar drama, although I guess under the lesser of the law, correctly used.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, Sheffield United played pretty well. You know, uh, West Ham didn't do too badly away there because that, that was a massive game for them. And, and you know, Sheffield United are flying. Um, as you say, VAR, um, I, I kind of felt, as you say, it's used to the letter of the law. You know, any, any goal that hits the hand in the build up has to be ruled out. Um, so you can't really argue with VAR in terms of that one being ruled out, whether or not, you know, it's you know that's the sort of thing people are just being allowed for then it's up in the air. But, OK, so we can't blame Barr for this one. That was purely down to the laws of the game. But a good rig again, another good win for Sheffield United that just keeps them up there and, you know, the season keeps going.
1: And, Joe, finally, Wolves versus Newcastle. And I think you'd have to say a better point for Newcastle out of the two teams, which means Wolves in a bit of a rut because they've only got one point from their last nine.
0: Yeah, you're right. Wolves have kind of uh, flatlined momentarily, but I think they're going to be OK for Newcastle, one shot on target, and it was the goal. Great job from Miguel Almiron, who's finally kicking on after about a year with the uh, with Newcastle. And he got the goal. I think that's three uh, across all competitions in the past two weeks or so. So Newcastle's doing better. I think they're not quite out of the woods yet because they were one of my teams to go down this year. But they're picking up. They're doing well. I think they are surprising a lot of people, myself included. And so I think Newcastle do have a good shot of staying up. Me, though, even though I'm not a betting man, I wouldn't feel comfortable putting my money on them. Not quite yet.
1: No, you're right. I don't think I'd put money on them, but I'm quietly confident they will stay up. I think if Ron can actually start or continue this purple patch and when they actually get, which is almost a whole team of injuries, back, then I think they might just keep their head above water because Steve Bruce has got that managerial nounce. But like I say, I'm not willing to put any money on it just yet. Right then, I think that is about full time. So I need to thank my sterling duo of uh, co-hosts. Carl, thank you as ever. An absolute pleasure to chat to you today.
2: Cheers, Dan. Really enjoyed this one, mate.
1: No problem. And Drew, same to you, buddy. Sterling work as always.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Love talking to you guys every single week here on the show. Talking the beautiful game, talking the Premier League. And can't wait to do it again next week.
1: Top man, likewise. I mean, that said, it just leads me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye.